Welcome back, everyone. Thank you. Yeah. That's good to be here. Um, oh, I think I can hear myself now. All right. Well, I just thought we would start out recapping what, where we were last week. Um, your schedules are busy, and I know a lot of you guys have to miss different Wednesdays. And so I thought we'd just, uh, recap a few things, and here, here we go. By the way, if you don't know me, I'm Ryan Brandt, and um, I'm having fun doing this. So we mentioned sanctification's obviously important, change is important, holiness is important, but it's hard, right? We all know that, like, how does it work? Uh, we, it happens through uh, spiritual formation, that's what this class is, it's how to change, it's how to be more like Jesus, and how, it's how it works. Um, you don't need to understand how it works to know that it works and to be, you've been changed in the past. You maybe never heard of spiritual formation. Learning about it, though, you, you learn ways that to make it work even more and as you know what the Holy Spirit is doing. Spiritual formation is about being made into uh, the image of the Son, Jesus, who's the image of God. Sorry about the typo. Uh, spiritual formation pushes against your, your, your own nature, your fallenness, against our culture as well. We talked some about how constantly our culture is trying to form us, whether intentionally or not, but it's generally intentionally, into a certain kind of person, a consumerist, a great buyer, um, an individual, a radically individualized individual. Everything that Christianity would be like, nuh uh and it, it rewires you to habitually act like Jesus. Not just act like Jesus. You're going to burn out. Maybe you've tried that. I just do the right thing every time, and it, it hurts. All the no, we're talking about becoming the kind of person that naturally does what needs to be done, that naturally imitates. Um, it's hard work, isn't it? So spiritual formation, this is where we ended and where we're going to begin today. We're going to be talking about the spirit, the work of the spirit specifically, and how that connects to spiritual formation. It might sound really, well, theological. Yeah, it is. Um, and, but I'm going to connect it practically as we're, as we're moving on here. Uh, we left off talking about how this happens in the triune context. Spiritual formation is Trinitarian. It's being brought up by God into God. That's how change happens. It's not you, you being you. It's you being bound by the Spirit to the Son, Jesus, right? The true human being. And as that happens, we receive divine attributes. You don't hear it said that way, but that's what's going on. You become holy, but only God's holy, right? You get his immortality. Only God's immortal, Incorruptible? Only God's incorruptible. This is all the stuff that we take on in Christ. Some of this, much of it, we get a taste now. Some of it we really don't get a taste of until, I suppose, the new heavens and the new earth. I don't know what it's like being incorruptible. I feel pushed towards, you know what I mean? Like, things fall apart. Death is real. Death is all around us. Um, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. So that's where we left off, and now I want to dive into the work of the Spirit. This is really fun stuff. This is going on all the time without us knowing it, or with us knowing it, and I want to learn 
uh, help us learn a little bit more about what's going on. So the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, quick introduction here. Uh, I like this definition from Anthony Hokema, really good theologian, uh, that gives a nice Trinitarian definition to the work of the Spirit here. The Holy Spirit brings to completion the plan of the Father through the application of the Word and benefits of the Son by acting upon and in the creature. That's us. And that's what's going on fundamentally. So when we're talking about the work of the Spirit, I know that's a mouthful up there. And really, I'm going to be talking the Trinity without really defining the Trinity. Uh, there's a lot of fun, fun discussions to be had there, but that would take us far adrift. But I'm going to let the Spirit lead and just, you know, here we go. So the first thing to know about the work of the Spirit is Trinitarian. The Spirit isn't doing spirit stuff as if it's a separate hand of God. The Spirit's doing something very specific, and that's the work of God. The Spirit's God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So just as the triune God uh, co-inheres and interpenetrates, right? It's inseparable, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Everything God does, therefore, is inseparable, co-inhering. Everything God does is Trinitarian. It's not like the Father's creating the world, the Son's redeeming the world, and now the Holy Spirit, who knows what the Holy Spirit's doing, right? No, the triune God creates, Father, Son, Holy Spirit creates, right? And it's through Word and Spirit that this happens. And here's a few examples. I just mentioned creation. So when you think about creation, this is in the Bible. It's actually very clear. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, wants you to see this. Think of creation as the Father speaking word, Son, and creation happening by the power of the Spirit, the Spirit hovering over those chaotic waters, right? You think Genesis 1 there? John takes that up. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, He's personifying the word. Again, this isn't an analogy, right? I wouldn't run this into a wall, but it's a great analogy. Father speak, speaks, word comes out, organizes forms, and the spirit empowering, enlivening, animating life. That's the way the Bible wants to look at it. Notice this is Trinitarian. Or sustaining the world. God created the world once and for all. But he's continually sustaining it. This is also Trinitarian. Um, it's less clear. Uh, I can't just, you know, give you a reference. It's all over the Bible, but it's less clear. I can't, I'm not just going to go to a reference here. But think about the spot, Father, again, speaking word. And what word is going to mean, logos, right, in the context of that Greek day is order, plan. That's the son. Paul talks about the whole world being held together by Christ right? Um, he, he, he upholds all things by the power of his word, says the author of Hebrews. It's very clear, and this is going to have certain stoic overtones in that day. Stoicism argued for the logos, in him we live and move and have our being, holding the world together, the order of the world, right? Paul quotes a stoic poet, if you guys are familiar, in Acts 17. Hey, you stoics, you got it. In him we live and move and have our being. I'm telling you who that is. That's the sun, right? So when you think about the world being sustained, it's being sustained 
Father through the Son Logos. It's the same thing. In the beginning was the Logos. John's funny. Right? It's a play on words. I mean, he's obviously talking in a Jewish context. He's talking about the word of God. But in that Greek, he's writing in Greek. In that Greek context, any reader and John himself know full well what's going on. Right? So the word organizes, the spirit empowers. Again, life is sustained as the spirit goes out and animates. It's all over in Genesis. You kind of think of word organizing, clay from the ground, dust from the ground. Spirit of God, breathing life. There you have it. Do you see this? The sun going out, organizing. The spirit going out, animating. Beautiful, right? Um, redemption, this is the same idea. Now, what we just talked about in creation and sustaining, this is going on in everyone, whether you know it or not. Your unbelieving friends, this is going on. They breathe because the Spirit gives them life. They're organized. Their bodies are organized. They're cohering. They're not imploding because the Logos. This is going on everywhere all the time. I can't, I'm not some independent being breathing on my own and <laughs> spirit, yeah, you got nothing on me. I'm breathing as the spirit's giving me life, right? So all of this is for all people, but here, here we go. This happens since the fall. We need recreation. We need restoration, right? In the same way that the word goes out organizing the world, or organizing creation. The spirit goes, goes out, animating life. Well, the word goes out, restoring those in Christ, reorganizing according to the image of the Son, and the spirit goes out, giving re-life, life again, the true life, right? You call that regeneration? I'm born again. What, what does that mean? It means the spirit in you animating you, giving you Life as God has it in some sense in the sun, right? So you have creation and recreation. And that is the new heavens and new earth. We have that now, though. If you believe in Jesus, maybe you remember the moment the scales fell off your eyes and you're like, oh, I get it. There you go. That's it right there. It's a sign of the new heavens and new earth. Now, imagine that happening with everything, right? That's the new heavens and new earth. So again, oh, I, got a, I guess I got off topic. This is Trinitarian. That's the point. Everything God does is Trinitarian. And the biblical writers are really aware, well, in the New Testament are really aware of this. But it's left implicit without sometimes digging into, well, who they're playing with, the Stoics and the Epicureans and some others. Second point, it's Christocentric. That is sun-centered, Christ-centered, same idea. We call the second person of the Trinity son, and that son gets the name Jesus when he's born human, so God becomes human, right? And that, that, that's, so it's the same idea, Christ's son. And so the work of the Spirit isn't just doing something apart from the rest, right? This is the work of the Spirit is to point to Jesus. It's pretty clear scripturally. That's why we don't talk about the Spirit a lot, because the Spirit's not like, ooh, ooh look at me. The Spirit's pointing you back at the Son, who then mediates you to the Father. That's how creation, recreation works. Um, you can say it this way. The chief role of the Spirit is to apply, anima animate, complete the work of the Son. There's different ways of looking at it. Application's a big word. The Spirit's the one that applies the work of Christ to you. Animation or reanimation Right, so animation, we're, we're, you're unbelieving friends. We all have life. We have the spirit in us. God's omnipresent. Not that surprising, right? 
But then reanimation. Remember the story of Nicodemus. What do I have to be to be with you, Jesus? you got to be born again. What? <laughs> That's it, the reanimation right there. So the, the role of the Spirit here is to, to, to bond us to the Son, to give us what is the Son's. Regarding salvation, so specifically for us in Christ now, the role of the Spirit is to unite us to or with Christ, animating us spiritually, like I mentioned with Nicodemus, and applying all the benefits of him to us. Pretty cool, right? So that's why when you look biblically, all the elements of salvation, salvation's a big word that can include a lot of different concepts, depending on what you're talking about. Uh, I mentioned one, regeneration. That actually doesn't appear much in the Bible. It really doesn't. Uh, it's a cool concept. Uh, but you certainly are familiar with it thanks to Billy Graham. Born again becomes like an evangelical calling card, isn't it? But there's other things. There's conversion. That's like repentance and faith. Faith, justification, sanctification, glorification. And especially when you read Paul and Peter, they make it really clear all this is by the power of the Spirit, right? That's the work of the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit's that guarantee, that bond, that seal, I called it glue, that kind of glues you to Jesus to apply all of this to you. Because, of course, we don't have this. This is stuff that Christ bought, has, in virtue of being the true human. And we get that through the power of the Spirit. And finally, and probably obviously at this point, the work of the Spirit is personal. That is, it's applying the work of Christ to us. Uh, I love the phrase redemption applied. That comes from John Murray. A lot of people pick that up. Think of what Jesus is doing when you're looking at the ministry of Jesus, um, his perfect life, his death, his resurrection. The Spirit's role is to apply that all to you, right? That's pretty neat. So this is a personal thing. This is something that the Spirit applies to you. Now, this brings us to a uh, really, and this is, uh, what is it called? Bible, um, the movies we were watching. Jurassic. Bible Project, yes. These are really helpful. I didn't know this one existed until I Googled it. I'm like, I want to see if Bible Project tackles this. And they did, and they said everything I wanted to a little better. So here we go. It's about a four-minute video. It's information download. Pay attention well. Part of me wants to watch this three times in a row with you. Seriously. Watch it at home, though, because I... Say again? Oh, sorry. The Holy Spirit. Wow, it's really... Uh, what do you call that? Over... Uh, yeah. Well, hopefully this is going to work okay. Ooh. Does that help? Yeah, no, I agree, and it's showing up fine on the screen here, so it's got to be the projector. I think this will be fine, but we'll pause it if there's a problem. The Holy Spirit, that's what it says. If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place, but then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and
Sorry, guys. Isn't that helpful? You know, there's so many things that I could touch on, um, and we are going to be touching on as we move forward. Um, But it helps clarify certain things that I know. I remember being really confused when I was a young believer about There's a couple points of confusion, especially in the one we're already addressing right now. I remember thinking whenever I'm a kid, whenever I was younger, and I was like, well, only only Christians have the Spirit. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, that's that's just believers have the Spirit. It's like, yes, in some sense, that's true, right, as we're, you know, actually redeemed and given new life. And yet the Spirit, you know, even as as this is talking about, the Spirit's behind, behind all gifting. Right? If you're gifted at something, it's not because you're special. I mean, God thinks so, but you are special in Christ. But it's because the Spirit gifted you. The Spirit gives all gifts. And the Bible often will blame the Spirit for all the good stuff. All right? Some people don't like to hear this. I love hearing it personally. It kind of takes the pressure off. <laughs> not exactly. I, that doesn't mean that whenever you stink at something, ah, oh, it's the Spirit's fault. <laughs> not me, but the Spirit. <laughs> Now, you can't do that, uh, but whenever something good comes, it's through the Spirit, right? Not in contradistinction to us, not in contradistinction to our works, but with us. And then the second thing that the video clarified that I really find helpful, what was it? Mm-hmm, there was something <laughs> really helpful, and I'll, I'll think of that in just a second been a long day, long week. Uh, so, so I want to start out discussing the Spirit's general work, right? This is the Spirit's work in all the cosmos, all the universe, right? And this is going on always and forever. There's a lot of this. We've talked about this. The Spirit's attributed to creation, especially when you're talking about the animation of creation, the breath of life, right? Animals too, humans too. Read the book of Job, spirit, spirit, spirit. Um, But also the spirit gives uh, the breath of life. I guess this is really overlapping, isn't it? The breath of life, life itself is identified as the spirit, not your special, the spirit in you. The spirit's also identified with the work of binding living creatures to God and grounding their existence. The book of Job loves talking about this. By the way, that book is really complex, really difficult. Some words only appear one time in the Bible, and they're almost all in Job. That's really hard, hard to translate. He also controls nature and history. He's God. This is just common sense, and the Spirit's especially associated with restoration. Not just restoration, redemptively speaking, although that's true, restoration of the world, right? So wherever there's desolation, the Spirit's attributed with undoing that uh, life coming back, so to speak, 
Here's Isaiah. There will be desolation until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. And the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. We often will like say, oh, that's that nature's taking its course, and you know, that's kind of true. You know, spirit's taking its course. God's taking its course. Um, so this is a general work. Um, now we're most familiar with moving on uh, special works attributed to the spirit. So when you're looking at the Old Testament, uh, teaching is attributed to the Spirit. The t- Spirit's the great teacher. Jesus talks about this coming day. The Spirit's going to c- come upon you and remind you of all these things in the book of John. But even in the Old Testament, the Spirit is revealing God's messages to his spokespeople. Uh, there's a lot of examples of this. Probably the one that we all maybe remember best is Balaam, right? Balaam taught, prophesied as the Spirit came upon him. By the way, teaching and prophecy are pretty closely related in the Old Testament. Prophets were teachers. And we know Balaam didn't have much good to say, but through the Spirit, he did say some good. Uh, The Spirit also teaches us how to be faithful. Uh, This is something that the Old Testament talks about, something that will kind of come upon people for a time and and, and change their lives and then kind of go, and you're like, wait, what's going on, right? Well, there's some difference between uh, the Old Testament, uh, the, sorry, the work of the Spirit in the Old Testament and the New. We're going to talk about the New Covenant. We can do that at another time. Uh, the Spirit, uh, you gave your good spirit, this is Nehemiah, to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Again, attributing the Spirit to this. Now, now like, you know, Um, the short video from Bible Project mentioned, the Spirit's identified as the presence of God. I probably should have have mentioned this. And over the course of the Old Testament, the Spirit becomes more and more personified. Wisdom as well. Jesus, Holy Spirit. They take on these personal characteristics and it develops. And then you reach the New Testament and there's this crazy dude, right? Born... um, a bastard who's like, I'm Yahweh. I'm the son the father sent me. I'm going to send my spirit after I'm gone. And it turns out all these personified things end up being God himself. Kind of neat, right? So there's always this long debate. The reason I bring it, up, bring it up now, there's a debate about, well, in the Old Testament, are they aware it's the third person of the Trinity? No, they're not, but they're personifying God's spirit, which is the same point. That is the Holy Spirit, as it turns out was not clear yet. The Spirit's also associated very closely with purification. In fact, purification and Spirit go hand in hand. He produces obedience with and in the person in terms of repentance, faith, righteousness, obedience, and fellowship. Uh, David's often quoted psalm is a great example of this and the Holy Spirit in his spirit, soul, self, heart, interacting. Create in me a pure spirit, David is praying, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. The play on words is so obvious, and it almost seems like David gets it, right? Uh, Again, the spirit's growing more and more personified as time goes on. 
identified as God himself, of course, the personal presence of God. The Spirit, and this is maybe, if you ever read the book of Judges, you know the Spirit's kind of hopping across people and empowering uh, these judges to rule righteously. Samson has the Spirit, and he's really strong. But all these are temporary things, and you're, you, you, you should kind of feel a little confused, like, but I thought the Spirit just indwells us. Yeah, in the Old Testament, the Spirit was permanently indwelling the temple, kind of hopping around elsewhere. I'm really dumbing it down, I know. But in the New Testament, the temple, Jesus, permanent indwelling. Who's in Jesus? All believers, permanent indwelled. There we go. There you have it. Um, that, the whole cryptic thing from Paul, your body's your temple, that's often taken out of context. He's making a really great point about the Spirit is permanently indwelling us now as we're in Christ, the true temple. Right? Tear it down. I'll rebuild it in three days. Jesus was funny. I'm the temple. Wow, the air conditioning is quite loud in here. <laughs> so the Spirit's associated with leadership. Good leaders are Spirit-led. It's the Spirit doing it, equipping you. Service, same idea. Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this? This is Joseph, in whom is the Spirit of God. Joseph, jo Joseph was exceptional. The Spirit was in him. Again, the writers are very clear about this. It's amazing and I missed this as a kid, right? All over the place. This is also applied to kings. You're familiar with Saul, but then the spirit was doing some hopping and then hopped off onto David. Thank the Lord that we're now in Christ and we have the permanent spirit indwelling, although we sometimes don't act like it. For, that was a dark way to say it. I'm talking about me when I say that. For further skill and strength. Uh, all skills and strength. Beauty itself is attributed to the spirit in you. And by the way, I should also say this, recognizing beauty is the spirit in you. Do, do you see that? Father speaking order, beauty. Son, spirit empowering, spirit in us, drawing us to logos, son, order in the world. Do you see that? It's all over. It's awesome. This is just, this is what you call theocentric, God-centered. God is in all, I mean, Paul said it, in him we live and move, and have our being. Zerubbabel built the temple not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You can't get much more clear than that. <laughs> um, and then the prophetic work. Spirit comes upon the prophets. Teaching work very much overlaps here. Prophecy is not a result of their own will. This is almost alluding to Peter later, but this is in the Old Testament as well but of the spirits. Here's the passage Jesus quotes to begin his ministry. Kind of, uh, kind of uh, bold. The Messiah will have the, the spirit perfectly. Um, while they didn't know it, permanently indwelled. When Jesus, you know, in the book of Luke, when Jesus, you know, from his own hometown is preaching to the people that know him, Mama's boy, Mary's told us that, like, he's really special and stuff, but I don't believe it. Jesus doesn't seem special. And there he goes. He's like, opens up the scroll, opens up to Isaiah, the spirit of God is upon me, dot, dot, dot. That's messianic. Where the spirit is, there's the Messiah. And this brings me to the second point I mentioned to note that the video helped, clar the video helped clarify something I, w I, w that I wish I watched it when I was a young believer, 
Um, what do you mean the Spirit's empowering Jesus? Jesus is God. He's doing it himself, right? Did anybody have that thought when you're watching the video? It's like taking away the divinity of Jesus, right? But that's the magic, let's just say it, of what's going on in Jesus. When you look upon the face of Christ, you see the Trinity. You see the one, the Son, who's sent by the Father, empowered by the Spirit. Yeah, that's all invisible, but you're seeing it. The Son is God as he's in relationship to the Father and the Spirit. Remember, God's Trinitarian. There's not some God outside of the Trinity. So as you're looking upon Jesus, you're literally seeing the Trinity. He who's sent from the Father, empowered from the Spirit. So the fact that the Spirit is empowering him is a proof that who he is. The Messiah, God himself. Yahweh! Right? That's just so beautiful. And now you know where we are in this equation. Oh, the Spirit's in me. I'm sent by the... I'm, I get the inheritance of the Son. I'm in Christ. What does that mean? I'm a partaker of everything God got. Right? That's pretty cool. One day this is going to be given to all. We know uh, it already. This, this has been fulfilled, at least mostly. Peter quotes it, right? This is the new covenant. One day the Spirit's going to be given to all, and it shall come to pass afterward, this is Joel, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. The fallen, edemic nature, not bodies. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Excuse me. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Messiah's coming with Messiah's spirit, with that new life in the Father. Right? Pretty cool. This brings us to the New Testament. And they're, um, you know, always quoting, at least alluding to the Old Testament. So you see a lot of this very clearly. The first thing that the Spirit would be, would evidence in the Jewish mindset. Um, so you're going back to, uh, you know, zero or, well, let's say 30 AD or so. Uh, what, 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 what does the return, what does the Messiah, what does that time look like? They're going to say the Spirit. They're going to quote Joel at you. Well, go figure. Whoever believes in me, Jesus said, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit. There you go. The Spirit is a sign that you're bonded to the Son. The Spirit is a sign the new age is now. The Messiah is here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, said, said him. He is the promised gift, the revealer of the new age. Here's Paul talking. Believers are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. He, a lot of the words I've kind of been reflecting, just to help you understand it, the seal with the promised Holy Spirit. We're sealed with that. It's the guarantee. The Spirit in you is proof that you're in the Son. It's the Spirit of the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself here. The possession of the Spirit, here's Anthony Hokema. That's the same AA. I don't know why I did it inconsistently. Uh, the possession of the Spirit means that we are in Christ. I think that much is clear now. And that we have a foretaste of the blessings of the age to come. Hope is something we, can, we, we experience through the Spirit. 
new life, scales falling off eyes and ears, things making sense, even in the midst of what feels like hopelessness in, in, in our world and our culture pushing against us, we have this now. I can't wait till it's in full, but we do have it now. He's the spirit of the word. The spirit and the son or the word, same idea. The word of God scripturally is primarily referring to the revelation of God. So Jesus and the Bible, right? So the spirit and the word are closely associated together. The spirit is associated, read the book of Luke, by the way. It's astounding. Just read it carefully and just see all, the spirit just keeps coming up, right? An ancient Jew would be reading this going, oh, the Messiah, and then a Christian's reading going, oh, Trinity. Cool. Right, the Spirit's associated with each, each stage. Uh, Jesus is born. Or I should say Mary con conceives by the Holy Spirit. Right? He's baptized by the Holy Spirit. After that, he's thrown into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. That whole wilderness wandering. What's going on here, right? Well, there you have it. Messiah, public ministry, each stage, especially in the book of Luke. Luke is very clear about this. The Spirit's there. The Spirit's there. Tempting the Spirit empowers and fights. Miracles, the Spirit's there. It's not because Jesus can't do it, y'all. It's because Jesus is living the human life that we're meant to. All right, it's very important to understand that. He's doing, he's taking on us and living life with the Spirit the way we should have, the way Adam should have, but we failed. You got everything you want in the garden, Adam. And he picks the fruit of the knowledge, good and evil. You had the, he could pick the fruit of life, right? The Hebrew text implies he didn't, although it's not totally clear on this. Isn't that funny? It's like, you can live forever or you can die. Which one you want? We all know where this person, though, your curiosity gets you. I want to be like God, knowing good and evil. It's tempting, isn't it? Living forever, eh, whatever. Scripture, too, when you think of the spirit of the word, we're thinking of the Bible, and, well, the spirit's attributed most clearly with writing the Bible, of course. It's Father sending word, text, spirit. Do you see how it all connects? Everything. The Trinity is really just the gospel, and I would love to unpack that, but there's just so much to say. I'm just going to focus on spiritual formation in here. But the spirit is associated with writing scripture very clearly. Uh, Peter, Paul, uh, Prophets didn't speak on their own power. They, they spoke as the Spirit was in them, speaking for them. Oh, pretty clear. It's the Spirit and the Word. And then finally, and this is where we can focus a bit more on some of the aspects of spiritual formation. Sorry if this does feel like information download. Uh, we can pause at the end. We're going to have time for questions. Oh, that went by fast. I might, uh, we'll have time for questions still. I'm going to end at 7.30. Um, so he's a spirit of individual blessings for those in Christ. Here's some things that you may be fam familiar with. The spirit convicts us. Here's Jesus talking. When the spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. People will turn to God through the power of the spirit. Pretty cool. He gives new birth. We hit that pretty hard. That's regeneration. Or animation, reanimation, same idea. It's by the Spirit that we're born again. It really confused Nicodemus. Uh, Jesus, you want me to be born again? Do you want me to crawl into my mother's womb again and be born a second time? That was a serious question. 
he's very confused. No, the Spirit's going to come upon you and animate you, reanimate you the way you ought to be in the triune God. He enlightens and illumines. That's like the scales falling off the eyes. I don't know why I keep saying that. I guess I'm just am. I don't know. Uh, when the Spirit of the truth comes, he will guide you in all truth, speaking to disciples primarily and us secondarily. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Spirit's pointing you to Jesus. That's the point. And it illuminates. It allows you to be like, oh, now I get it. Oh, I get it. In the same way an artist, oh, now I see beauty. Now I see, ah, thank you, Spirit. He teaches. We mentioned this. He reveals. We mentioned that as well. He mediates her fellowship with the triune God, right? You think of Christ as the mediator, and that's true, but the Spirit's the bond, the one who glues us to Jesus, so to speak. And then Jesus mediates us, represents us to God, all right? And he transforms us progressively. You can think of point six as we're justified by faith and we have peace with God. We have God's holiness, judiciously speaking, we're counted that way, even though we still live in sin, point six. And yet, point seven, the same spirit bonding you to Christ is changing you from the inside out. It's a major point from, from last week. Remember, that's the fruit of the, the spirit. And uh, the Christian virtues are not called just, they're not, you know, the word virtue isn't really used. It's just the fruit of the spirit. This is the work of the spirit. How do you know? Well, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, God, naming off a lot of tough stuff. Self-control, how do I do that? Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. That's really beautiful. This is what spiritual formation is really all about. Um, Jesus gets that fruit of the Spirit a bit differently. Read Matthew 5. Blessed are those. Blessed are those. And it's all the stuff you wouldn't expect. Kind of jarring. That's the fruit of the Spirit. He assures us of, of our salvation, our inheritance. He empowers and gifts us. You think of the spiritual gifts here. Of course, the Spirit gifts everyone. Any gift you have is from God through the Spirit, right? And especially for the church. And those are the spiritual gifts, right? Because Paul is talking specifically about that, but he's not ignoring the rest. He prays, intercedes. Sometimes in a lot of people's favorite verse, the Spirit you know, prays for you with groans that you don't even know how to talk, but the God groans for you. Ugh. That feels good, right? Like, that's, that's, that's the spirit. All right, all right. He unifies us together as a body. The church is one as the spirit's with the church. And he prompts missionary activity. I didn't really expect that. But there you go. So whenever we come to the Holy Spirit it's like, what's going on? We don't know how to talk about the Spirit. And I think in some sense, probably the Spirit's flattered because his whole ministry is to bond us to Christ, mediate us to the Father. That's the whole point. But when we think about this well, you kind of realize what's going on uh, with some of these commands that, that sound really scary, right? Don't quench the Spirit. Or like, you know, the one sin you can't commit. Well, you guys see why this is the one sin you can't commit, right? Quenching the Holy Spirit. Uh, grieving the Holy Spirit, you're literally squeezing off life itself. There's a tube straight into your heart, and you're like, nah, I don't need you, Spirit. Well, you can see why that's problematic. 
That is he who is holding you together and giving you breath and life in all things. I keep quoting Paul, I mean a stoic. Paul's clever that way. The Spirit's work is to take the work of Christ and apply it to our own individual lives. So I'm going to skip over this part. I meant to, and we already kind of got the point. But I just want you to understand that there's general and special operations, as they're often called, general, special work of the Spirit. Uh, the, the, the general work of the Spirit is creating life, animating life, empowering life. The special work, reanimation, re-empowering, empowering unto God. Don't think that when you're in Christ, you're going back to the Garden of Eden. That would be terrible. You see what happened there, right? There's something different that we get. Adam wasn't bonded to God. Adam fell. You get that new heavens and new earth is us being participants of God. All right? God became human, doing humanity the way it needed to be done, and that's our new representative. We're no longer in a fallen human. We're in a human that can't fall because he's God. So we don't need to talk about this in any detail, but it's a point you should already see that I've already made. And this brings us to the internal work of the Spirit. And what we're getting at here is the Spirit is that which works in you to, to really see and understand and live out the gospel. Um, kind of doing a time check right now. I think we're fine. So the first thing to understand is as we uh, think about like our non-believing friends um, and us, you know, the, the, the wrong thing would be like, man, why don't they just believe I did? Look at me. We know that's not the case. Like that's just a whole caricature, isn't it? But it's the spirit that opens up the gospel and our eyes are like, oh, okay, I understand. I understand. Moral weakness, moral sin through the power of the spirit. Same thing. Maintaining our consciousness, etc. I'm just going to go through this. Honestly, we've already said all this stuff. And here it is. Just to uh, be very clear about what the Spirit's doing. The Spirit's doing something that's directed towards Christ. Christ brings redemption. Think about the life and death and resurrection and ascension. This is all what we're going to get. That's, that's what we get in Christ. This Jesus accomplishes that. The Spirit applies that redemption to us. Right? So here's phrases, especially Paul likes to jump back and forth. And this might kind of turn on a light bulb to help seeing it another way. Um, this, here's different refer names, I guess you could say, different names that the Holy Spirit is called. The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Yahweh, the Spirit of the Son, the Spirit of Jesus, same idea. You get the point. The Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of God's Son. There's a reason for this. The Spirit's not, like, if the Spirit's not bringing you closer to Jesus, you know, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Or, you know, like, whatever. I, I, if the Spirit's not bringing you closer to Jesus, it's probably not the Holy Spirit. Because that whole purpose of the Holy Spirit, the whole purpose of spirituality, of spiritual formation, is to be made in the image of the Son. What that looks like is going to be a little bit different for everyone. We have different giftings. Oh, I wonder where that comes from. The Spirit, yeah. Um, when we participate in Christ, we also participate in the Spirit, a major point Paul makes, and it's cryptic sometimes. 
One brings about the other. There's a lot more to bring up, and I'm starting to realize that, you know what, I want to pause for a second. We can talk about, I was going to talk about the filling of the Spirit and then the spiritual gifts, but before we do, because that enters into a kind of another discussion, um, I wanted to pause, and are there any questions before I move forward, like any confusion? There's a lot of heavy stuff. Oh, I get what you're saying. The, the assumption of Luke throughout Luke and the rest of the Gospels is that the Spirit's doing this all the time. Whenever you're looking at little infant Jesus, he's the one sent by God, empowered by the Spirit. And yet he's still annoying as heck, I'm sure, like any toddler, right? You can be annoying and not sin. Jesus did life the way it should be. Imagine being Mary for a second, y'all. She doesn't know everything, but she knows a lot. She knows he's the Davidic Messiah. That's what the angel tells Mary. Yeah, your, 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 your baby's going to be the Davidic Messiah. Okay, that's going to like resonate king. Oh, I'm going to, okay, King Jesus. But man, the day she figured out, oh, wait, that's Yahweh. When I was giving birth to him, he was holding me together without knowing it because he's a baby. Wait, how does that work? Yeah, the Spirit's there every phase. Oh, the baptism thing. Yeah, this was like a public declaration. Oh, wow. It's kind of hard to say. It's a formal announcement. The ministry of Jesus is beginning. He kept pretty quiet for 30 years. He didn't really say anything at all. Talk about a vow of silence. He's probably figured out maybe several years. Who knows when? I'm Yahweh? Oh, wait. That means, uh uh-oh. Oh, that, oh. Imagine growing up. And hearing voices in your head. Imagine growing up, but not just being truly hu- a human being, being God. What does this look like? You think you were weird in elementary school? <laughs> and yet he can't talk about it exactly. It's got to be tough. He did human life the way it out. If you ever feel alone, Jesus felt it more. You can trust that he gets it. So yeah, I see that as every phase, absolutely. Um, that's a really good question. And then we have a public uh, announcement. It's initiating, and the baptism signifies baptism unto this human being. And what that would mean is uh, they, they, they thought of Jesus as the head through which all the rest of humanity would be united. That's why baptism's so important. It's not just a symbol. You're like, you're, you're being baptized into Jesus. He did it first, and you're being baptized into him. Death life. Woo! It's pretty cool. Any other questions? Confusion. That was a good one because there's a lot of confusing confusion relating that. Yeah, yeah, that would be a nice image, uh, a, a metaphor Speaking, um, there's a lot of passages in um, um, 
Jeremiah and Isaiah that talk about this, and that's a symbol of the new heavens and new earth. Um, Living water, these rivers are flowing in the middle of Zion, the new Zion. The end of the book of Revelation, right, there's these rivers flowing, living water flowing, and the tree of life in the midst of it. It's just a sign, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And so if you have Jesus, you're going to have living water flow out of you as uh, you are redeemed. You're a sign of the new heavens and new earth to come. You're not going to literally have water coming out of you. <laughs> I just like to have fun sometimes. Any other questions? Yeah, common grace is getting at that. So if God's spirit itself allows his presence to fall upon the congregation to receive that, then they're going to already crack in the mold first and process that stuff. And then the spirit comes down or Elijah on Mount Sinai, or I mean on Mount Carmel. Mm-hmm. Those were effectual. Yeah, yeah, the spirit for some time empowered them in a special way. The Spirit's not indwelling anything in the Old Testament except for the temple, though, permanently indwelling. But isn't the Spirit working everything together? Absolutely. Oh, so there's different senses by which the Spirit's working. There's a general sense, which is what you're getting at, and that's often called common grace. And yeah, that's Trinitarian and especially completed by the Spirit. And there's also a special sense of the Spirit's work um, permanently in the temple, but also uh, sort of intermittently in certain leaders. There's different senses in which God is working. That's a really good question. Uh, Paul, having fun in First Corinthians, talks about kind of just applied, and that was Jesus, and that was Jesus, which means, yes, the Spirit too. Wherever there's the Son, there's the Spirit, and vice versa. So whenever I blame the Spirit for something, it's the Son, right, bonding you, empowering it, right, or whatever it is towards the Son. It's all very much connected. Did that answer the question? Okay. Yeah. There's actually a very large debate about the continuity of the work of the Spirit in the Old Testament and New Testament. If you're Presbyterian versus Lutheran versus a dispensational Baptist, there's a lot of different answers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I tend to see more continuity. The one place I, I don't know is the indwelling thing, because the Spirit um, is certainly there in everyone, but indwelling is a very special sense. That's the sense that the Spirit is in the Son, which we partake in the Son. So this is a redemptive indwelling. Very good. That's a good analogy. I'm going to use that, and I'll hashtag your name. Copyright it. To, uh, that'd be better. <laughs> Trying to be relevant to the new generation. That's a very good analogy. Yes, question.
Yeah. That means God is with you and you're experiencing a tough time. Right. So, so in spiritual formation, they call that the dark night of the soul. Uh, and you hear that and you know what it is. Uh, Jesus experienced a lot of those. You can imagine just as a kid even, but as an adult. Um, so God hides sometimes in order to teach us something. And so the biggest thing to remember is God is there suffering with you. You just can't sense it. It's not as real. Uh, John of the Cross has the standard book on this. It's actually just called Dark Night of the Soul. A uh, really old book, but it reads like it was written yesterday. So I'd recommend it if you have somebody you know. It's one of my favorites. Any other questions? Uh, did I answer that? Yeah. Any other questions? Well, I don't want to skip over this material, but I knew it would create all kinds of extra questions. Uh, we'll, uh, we only have about five, ten minutes. I don't want to, you know, go too long or anything. But when you see the filling of the Spirit, this is confusing, right? What, what, what's going on here? Um, so just some quick uh, observations I'm going to make for you. Even though Christians may be baptized in the body, this is clear in the New Testament, into Christ through His Spirit, not all Christians are always filled with the Spirit, it seems. Now, this is particular language uh, that Paul is often using. So, to be more specific, some believers, Paul likes to talk about this, he talks about some believers like they're more worldly and carnal. What he's getting at there is that you're, you're, you're kind of giving in to your fallen self. And some even apparently grieve or quench the Spirit. So I suppose, I think what Paul would say is you can be more tuned in or less tuned in. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Now, this is a vague term, and there's a lot more to say here. And in some ways, I'm just kind of creating space for you to think. Um, I'm not going to solve something that can take, you know, years and decades of study. But there are different meanings of this within the Bible. In some passages, it does refer to a momentary experience uh, for a specific task at hand. Uh, the Spirit filling up the early church, it was a common way. There's something special going on. It's very exciting going on. Uh, the Spirit came upon Peter in that moment that he preached, but the Spirit was already there. You know, you know what I mean? But there's this special sense in which, okay, church needs extra d direction at this point. Peter, you're not a great preacher. Right? That's a joke. Uh, more rarely, more, rare, more rarely it connotes a continuing experience of filling with the Spirit. Paul's just talking about what it means to be a Christian. Be filled with the Spirit means be tuned in with the Spirit. Recognize what's really going on. As you're submitting, realizing you're doing it by the power of the Spirit. When you can't sometimes pray, realize the Spirit's groaning for you, etc., Sometimes this may refer, lastly, to a characteristic of a person's life. There seems to be a special sense, and this is all really the book of Acts notice, and so Luke creates some of this question about what does this mean. Um, but, you know, it's almost like a, a spiritual gift. Man, they're really tapped into that spirit, this kind of way of saying Christ-focused. You ever met somebody like that that you just think spirit, right? That sort of thing. 
So the confusion biblically is the term, well, I should say the phrase, is not really used consistently. Kind of depends on where you're looking. But that shouldn't surprise you. A lot of words are used inconsistently because they can mean a lot of different things. Sometimes sanctification, that word, you think this, but it really means justification and vice versa in the Bible, like from the Greek. And you're like, that's weird. Well, those words can be used in different ways. Reading the Bible is sometimes hard. And finally, the gifts of the Spirit. I want to mention this. The Spirit gives gifts since we're one church. I just want to kind of, hey, let's talk about this real quick, and then we should be done here. Uh, there's a lot of different references to this. I would never consider any of these lists total, complete, whatever. Um, Paul's, you know, just writing, and he, sometimes the, the lists don't match at all. Sometimes they do kind of. Uh, prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, faith, healing, working in miracles. There's all these like special ways that we're uh, able to, you know, we're tuned in the spirit in this special way. I keep ripping on that. That's really helpful. Uh, but even the gifts of the spirit can be related to different roles, as Paul mentions in Ephesians 4.11. All these roles sustained by the spirit. But here's what I want us as a church to hear, and I think this is what we would all agree upon. Um, I want to get to point two here. The gifts are give, given for the edification of the body, and that's, uh, it's not just about you, although it's probably going to be useful for you. If you're a good uh, servant, you know, you take that home with you, and, and there's, there's benefit to living a life that way. But it's not ultimately about you. Um, no person has all the gifts. Even Paul admitted that. So the body needs itself. I don't know what your gifts are. We all have different gifts. We maybe have multiple ones. Um, maybe you have one that you're really in tune with. All the gifts are important. There's not one that's like, oh, that's a super gift. The Spirit gives to whom he wills. Paul mentions this. It's very quick. Like, what do you mean by that? I think it's a way of saying, um, be content, ultimately. Yeah? And there you have it. So I'm glad I cut out some preceding discussion. I had a little more than I thought I would, but I didn't want to take away time in weeks three, four, five, six, where we get at how spiritual formation works on a tangible level. We're talking about how it works background and know this going through. If you miss this, you kind of miss everything, and you'll feel it because you're going to feel burnout. Like, I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to do it. Know this in the background, and suddenly the Christian life makes sense. Uh, sometimes.